Amen. Wherever you find yourself, know that we're glad you're worshiping with us today. Uh, And to all the mothers out there, let me go ahead and say Happy Mother's Day to you. I hope that today is a special day for you. Uh, We're going to be continuing in Mark 12. (laughs) Originally on the schedule today was uh, Mark 13, uh, which is the abomination of desolation and the end times uh, for a number of reasons, one of which, today being Mother's Day, we decided to add uh, last week's sermon, uh, which put today's passage on love for Mother's Day uh, and move back the abomination of desolation to next week. So get ready. Although I think I could have had some pretty good uh, end times jokes for all the mothers out there. Uh, but today we're talking about love, uh, not romantic love. It's a different type of love. It's a God-focused uh, and neighbor-focused love, which makes me think uh, the timing of this passage was not an accident for us uh, as we think and consider about what ha- happened with Ahmad Alberry, you know, which is a yet another example showing uh, the weight and the importance of our text today. Today's passage, it's, widely, it's a widely taught text, uh, and for good reasons, in our passage, it's one of the first verses I memorized as a child, one of the, one of the camps I went to growing up. Uh, today's text is on the great commandment. According uh, to Jesus, these two commandments are the goat. We naturally uh, are drawn to these types of questions of who or what is the greatest, for example. Uh, which is the greatest empire? Uh, was it the Greek empire? Was it the Roman empire? Was it the Ottoman empire? Uh, or, you know, questions like who was uh, the greatest American leader? Was it Washington? Was it Lincoln? Was it Reagan? Was it MLK? Uh, who was the greatest basketball player of all time? Was it Magic? Was it Kobe? Uh, was it MJ? Uh, we're naturally drawn to these types of questions, uh, which is what we see in today's passage. Uh, what was the greatest commandment? And as we'll see, uh, the greatest commandment is to love God, and the second is to love your neighbor. And that's our main idea. Uh, followers of Jesus are commanded to love God and love your neighbor. Typically, I'll, I'll wrestle with this for a while uh, during the week, along with how I'm going to structure the sermon uh, with the points, because it's not always it's not always clear cut. But today, it's really simple. Uh, number one, love God, and number two, love your neighbor. It's about as simple as it can get. Uh, this is not a difficult passage to understand. It's become a pretty common language. It's often said and repeated. Uh, th- there's one verse in here that we'll, we'll wrestle with a little bit, but for the most part, uh, it's pretty easy to teach because it's easy to understand. And oftentimes, uh, when I go through a passage the first time before I preach it, you know, I just kind of write down some of my initial thoughts, just kind of jot it down. Uh, a, a bit of a raw reaction that I have to the text after the first reading of it. Uh, and this week, the first thing that came to my mind was it's easy to teach, but it's hard to live. It's, it's not super complex, but yet it's very complex. It's simple, yet difficult. It's easy for me to stand up here and say, love God and love your neighbor. It's an entire different thing for me or for any of us to actually do it and to obey it. I think it's somewhat similar uh, to trying to lose weight. It's very simple, uh, yet very difficult. It's a very simple concept in that the calories you take in need to be less than what we burn. Uh, if, you take, if you're in a calorie deficit, you burn fat and lose weight. It's, it's really simple, <laughs> yet many of us know it's still often very difficult. It's easy to say and teach, but it's hard to do. And as I thought about this passage, it's been super convicting uh, as I've read this over and over again this week, 
uh, but I think it'll also be encouraging, and hopefully it'll be a good word for us to sit in. It's one of the uh, basic fundamental passages of the Christian life. It's one of the first things we teach our kids, uh, and many of us uh, sitting here watching could also teach this passage. It's, it's a simple passage. It's one that we need to hear over and over and over again. Why? Because we forget it and we disobey it every single day. In fact, the first part of the great commandment that Jesus quotes in Deuteronomy 6, it says, These words that I command you, they shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Wherever you sit in your house, uh, wherever you walk, wherever you lie down, wherever you wake up, talk about, whatever you do these things, talk about them. And then he says, put it as a sign on your hand. Put it on your forehead. Put it over your door. Put it at the gate of your house. Essentially letting them know. This is, this is one concept. We've got this one concept. Don't forget it. We need constant reminders over and over and over again. Why? Because it's a simple statement, but it's really hard to do. And so we've got a great reminder of a great truth to work through together today. And as I'm uh, sure you probably, uh, as I'm sure probably happened back then, uh, when people were reminded over and over and over again of this same truth, day after day of the same statement, it probably became commonplace to them or somewhat uh, dull and lost its weight and value. Uh, may we pray against that today. May we pray against that. May we never grow dull or callous to God's Word. God's Word, it's living and active. It's, it's, God's Word speaks to us. God's Word encourages us. It corrects us. It directs us. It gives us life. And so I pray that as uh, we look at today's passage, a very common passage, we'll look at it with fresh eyes, removing the blinders of commonplace because we desperately need this. And so with that said, let's dive into Mark 12, starting in verse 28. This is what God's Word says. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is easy to say, but it's hard to do. Here we see one of the scribes. Uh, which just as a side note, uh, in other passages in the, on, the same, in the same, in the same, on the same thing, he's referred to as a lawyer, uh, which is the same thing as a scribe. His, his title just indicates that he knows the Old Testament law. He knows it really, really well. Uh, which generally speaking, as we see in the book of Mark, these scribes were not typically too fond of Jesus. Uh, Jesus had a history of, of just kind of ruffling their feathers a bit. But this specific scribe, in verse 28, we see reference uh, to how the scribe viewed Jesus. It says uh, that he answered them well. It says he answered them well, and so the scribe likes what he hears from Jesus. He liked how Jesus responded to the Sadducees uh, in last week's passage in marriage in heaven. Uh, so there seems to be a cordial interaction. They're on good terms here. And so uh, he asked Jesus the question, kind of, he's kind of double-checking his theology a bit here. And he asked in verse 28, he says, which which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus res responds by quoting Deuteronomy uh, 6, verses 4 and 5, a part of the Torah. That, As we said, it was, it was repeated over and over again. This was, this was the memory verse that every single person knew. This was John 3, 16 of the day. Uh, it was everywhere. It was everywhere. And Jesus, being a devout and honorable Jew, he quotes it back to him. He begins by quoting Deuteronomy 6, 4, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
which is just another interesting side note. Uh, that part is not referenced in Matthew or Luke. Uh, they don't quote that specific part of the verse, but it's important to Mark because it was probably important to Mark's audience. Showing and reiterating that Jesus and his followers believed that God actually is one. Uh, Mark is confirming and establishing that they're, they're not multiple gods. Uh, no, there's only one God, and that one God is Yahweh. It's the same God that the scribe worshipped. And then he says uh, in verse 30, I'm going to read it again. It says, Then you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, which leads us to our first point. Number one, love God. It's simple to say, it's hard to do. How do we love God? We can say we love God, but what does this love look like? What does obedience look like? You know, it's a commonly used phrase. We say often we love the Lord or we love Jesus. Maybe we say it at a dinnertime prayer, which is a good thing. And then shortly after, I'll say something like, you know, the Hovis family, we really love us some ice cream, which as we know, it's not the same type of love. Our passage is talking about agape love, a sacrificial and pure love for God. It's the greatest of loves. And then uh, to further it even more, as we see in the commandment, we need, uh, we need to have this greatest uh, sacrificial and pure love. And we need to have it in four different arenas of our life, which as we see in verse 30, it's our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Uh, and so let's, let's think on this for a second. It's, it's, it's often said, but what, is, what does it actually mean? In short, it's a statement of totality of our entire life. You know, loving God with everything we have, loving God with our emotions, loving God with our mind, loving God with our, our will and our desires, our thought life, loving God with everything we've got. You know, in Deuteronomy 6, what Jesus quotes, uh, God wants us to be reminded over and over again to put it all over the place uh, and, and so that in every arena of our life we'll be reminded uh, to have a total, pure, and sacrificial love of God. God knew we needed these reminded so much uh, to love him that he said, uh, put the reminder on your, on your hand, uh, put it on your forehead. Uh, God doesn't want us to ever get, forget to love him. He wants us to love him in complete totality all the time, which as we've been saying, it's, it's easy to say, but it's hard to do. And as we think about this, I think it would be a good reminder for us uh, to look at, the, at some of the ways we forget or, or some of the ways we can fail to do this. When we think of loving God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, uh, like, like most areas of our life, we can be strong or better in one area of these and then weak or, or not as strong in the other areas. Uh, and, and here are a few examples, a few of those dangers. There's something common in the American uh, in American church culture, you know, I think this is probably seen more in, in, in the younger generation, uh, just as a, gen, as a generality, but uh, it's the temptation to love the Lord with our heart and soul, with, with our emotion, to have, uh, to have our affections stirred, which is, which is not bad. Right? This pleases the Lord. But the danger comes uh, when someone says, you know, I want to love the Lord, but I, I don't want all that theology stuff, that doctrine. Uh, can't we just love God? Which is, as we see, this goes against the greatest commandment. If we seek to love the Lord with our heart, soul, and strength, but yet we forget to love the Lord with our mind, if we don't think well, if we don't fight to know God with our minds, fight to understand God's word, fight to get it right, if we don't do that, we're denying the great commandment. We're falling short 
of complete love. God has called Christians to think well. He's called us to use our brains. Uh, may we seek to grow in our knowledge and understanding of God and His Word and, to, and, and as an act, as an act of love towards God. But then another danger that we have uh, is to love the Lord with our mind and strength, but not, not with our heart and soul. Uh, on the other side of a mindless Christian is a heartless Christian. Like we don't need, we don't need any more, just like we don't need any more mindless Christians, we certainly don't need any more heartless Christians. The danger is to grow in the knowledge of the Lord, to grow in our minds, and then failing to let it affect our hearts and souls. And then the third danger is to love the Lord with, with our mind, to grow in the knowledge of God, growing in understanding, and then it may also lead our heart and our soul to love God. Our, our affections are stirred, which is great. But then the third, the third danger is that it doesn't actually change anything. There's no fight. There's no will. There's no action being taken. We need to love God with all of our strength to fight sin, to remain zealous in God's mission, to endure hardship, to not give up. To love God, it takes all of our strength. Every bit of our God-given will is what it takes to love, to love God and to, and to love others. I don't know what it is for you, but I'm guessing uh, we each have a tendency that we would lean uh, towards in one of these directions. We would be leaning towards one of these dangers. Uh, we need to wrestle with the tensions here. God wants our mind. He wants, the way, he wants how, to know how we think. He wants our affections. He wants our heart and our soul. And He wants our strength. He wants our will. And so uh, as we're thinking about these categories, I think we can in some ways... I think these, these categories can kind of guide how we have our, only da- our own daily time in God's Word uh, with the Lord. Kind of a guide rail to keep us balanced, to balance these tensions. You know, we want to we engage, uh, engage our heart and soul with the, with the Lord. Right? Through prayer and confession, possibly even journaling. Uh, we want to engage our mind with the Lord by reading and studying God's Word. And then we want to engage, uh, engage the Lord with our strength, our will, by fighting to believe and obey what the Word actually says, like doing what the Word says, fighting for, fighting for the conflict of our soul, fighting, fighting sin, and being obedient to the mission that God has called each of us to do. We need this every day because God wants every bit of us every day. He wants all of us. You know, He says four times. He says all four times. He says it before each of these categories. He wants, uh, he wants that part of your life uh, where you really struggle, that part of your thought life that speaks lies to yourself, that causes you to doubt God's goodness in your life, believing that God isn't good enough. Those lies that come up uh, causing you to believe that God, that God is not satisfying enough. Or those lies causing you to believe that God somehow messed up part of your life. God wants every area of our strength and will, every area of our effort in holiness, every effort in, in obedience in His mission. He commands it. This is not an option. This is not a, suge- a suggestion. It's a command. Anything short of total, all of life, love is disobedience. <laughs> it's easy to say, but it's hard to do. So that's the first and greatest commandment. The first of over 600 commandments. And then Jesus goes against the grain a little, like he normally does. Uh, and he gives the scribes something he didn't ask for. Jesus goes the extra mile. He gives, him, he gives the scribe the second greatest commandment. Jesus says in verse 31, The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. 
So the scribe asked for the greatest commandment, and Jesus gave him the first and the second greatest commandment. But the second commandment that Jesus gives, it wasn't traditionally known as the second greatest commandment. It was, it was listed as a commandment coming from Leviticus 19.18 and also in Leviticus 19.34, but it was just one of many. And then Jesus, in this moment, uh, he puts this commandment in second place behind loving God. And this was somewhat revolutionary. He first said, love God. And now secondly, he's saying, number two, or second point, love your neighbor. More specifically, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, this, uh, like the first commandment, it's, it's easy to say and teach, but it's hard to do. Why? Because it's not asking us to show a simple kind gesture to our neighbor uh, every once in a while. The commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And what do we naturally do uh, for ourselves? We think about ourselves uh, all the time. Why? Because we feel our hunger We know when we're hungry, and we know when we're not hungry. Uh, We know our emotions and thoughts. We know what we want, and we know what we don't want. We know what makes us sad, what gives us joy. We know our desires. We naturally love ourselves. We look out for ourselves. And listen, self-love is not not a bad thing. We We don't hate ourselves. That's an offense to God. We need to remember God created us in His image. We are part of God's creation And also, if we're in Christ, we're part of his redeeming work. These are are good things. But what we need to understand is that self-love is not the same thing as being selfish. Being selfish is only loving yourself and not loving others, which is what Jesus brings up in the second commandment, where self-love is assumed here. But the command is to love your neighbor. He doesn't command us to love ourselves. He commands us to love our neighbor as ourself, which goes completely against uh, what our culture says, because we live in a culture that promotes and spends billions of dollars advertising uh, and promoting uh, to put ourselves first. The idea here is not to put yourself first, and it's also not to put yourself down or to devalue yourself, but rather to love your neighbor as yourself, to be all on the same page. To love others the same way you love yourself. In essence, it's a call to humility. C.S. Lewis has said, said, a common phrase C.S. Lewis has said, famous quote, uh, which also on humility, it also works with this idea. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. And so if we were to rephrase this, working towards loving our neighbors, I, I would say loving your neighbor as yourself is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking more of your neighbor. And just to point out, when he says neighbor here, it's an all-encompassing statement of others. You know, Jews typically understood this as just other Jews, that those were their neighbors. But Jesus here is not restricting neighbor to any specific group of people. Rather, it's an all-encompassing statement. It includes all of humanity, which also, might I add, it includes our enemies and the people that are hard to love. But for today's purposes, I'm going to talk about loving our neighbor in just, in just spheres and concentric circles just to have a category for us. Uh, the first sphere of neighbors uh, for our purposes today are, are those that we live with. Uh, your family, your spouse, your kids, your roommates. These are your neighbors, right? You, the people that we live with. This is the, fear, uh, the sphere that is often the hardest uh, because you see them the most, especially now in quarantine. 
If you want to see someone else's sin come out, just live with them for a few days. Right? You know, it's, I've often heard it said, they don't realize how selfish you are until you get married, and you don't realize how impatient you are until you have kids. And those, those that live with us uh, can sometimes be the hardest neighbors to love as ourselves. This is, this is not always the case. You know, there's, there's obviously uh, evidences of grace in this in a lot of our lives, but, uh, but, I, but if we think about it in, in, a, in a totality, I think the current divorce rates and rise in domestic abuse cases, I think it speaks to the challenges of this, of, of a neighborly love in the home. It's a daily work in progress. Loving your neighbor as yourself in this sphere uh, may look like something as small as just doing someone else's dishes for them. Or something as simple as uh, just filling, out, uh, filling up someone's drink when you go to the refrigerator, get yourself a drink. It also looks like controlling uh, your tongue with your uh, wife or your kids or your, or your roommate with your family. Or it can also look like, uh, in love, gently addressing someone else's sin. <laughs> I, I specifically say... Uh, Gently and in love, because in these spheres, the, the, the guardrails come down much quicker and shots can be fired much more quickly. Calling out someone else's sin in haste or in anger or because it frustrates or annoys you is not loving your neighbor as yourself. That's just selfish and not loving. Or it can also look like loving your neighbor in this sphere means just showing grace and kindness when there are some sort of unmet expectations. It's easy to say, but it's hard to do. And so it must come out of the overflow of the first commandment of our love for God. The next fear are those that uh, we see are in close proximity to, uh, but don't necessarily live with. Maybe, uh, maybe our physical neighbors, maybe coworkers, close friends, people in our church or our groups. You know, I think this is often uh, the layer that we traditionally think of when we think of loving our neighbor. Uh, there, are simple, there are simple nice gestures that we can uh, we can do from time to time, like maybe helping them with chores or, or offering to buy someone lunch or writing them an encouraging note during a difficult time, just trying to uh, love them well. But something that's a part of loving your neighbor, and really this is in all spheres, not just this, this one sphere, but it's, it's finding out what your neighbor loves, right? Finding out what they love and just asking ourselves the question, what does it look like to deny ourselves and love uh, and serve others? in a way that would be a blessing to them. You know, one of the questions we can ask is, how, how can I be a blessing to my neighbor? Uh, maybe it looks like just, just checking on them, just asking them how you can pray for them. M- maybe it looks like doing a, just a simple act of kindness, or uh, if you know they're having a hard time, like we said, just writing them a note, or just uh, going out of your way to show them that you care. And might I add, as I said earlier, uh, this also includes loving the neighbor's that are hard to love. Uh, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a coworker, or maybe it's an actual neighbor, but we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves, even when they're hard to love. <laughs> Something I believe the Lord graciously reminded me of this week is that, and here it is, God gives us hard neighbors to love in all spheres. It's for their good and for our good. We have the opportunity to be a means of God's grace to a neighbor that probably needs it. Uh, whether it's our family, a real neighbor, a co-worker, whoever it is, uh, we, have a, we have the opportunity to be a means of God's grace in their lives when they may need it, while God 
is also growing us in the process, making us more like himself, growing us in his grace, his patience, kindness, and sacrificial love. Right? It's, it's, it's easy to say, but it's hard to do. And then the last fear, uh, this fear of acquaintances, uh, strangers, or those that we, maybe we've never seen or known. Uh, loving your neighbor in this fear may look like serving the poor, serving the orphan, the widow, the unwed mother, or the refugee, possibly uh, intentionally making them a friend as a means to serve and care for them. It also means uh, caring and advocating for the unborn, speaking out against racism and injustice. You know, at the, at the root of both racism and abortion is a complete rejection of loving your neighbor as yourself. And as we've tragically seen yet again this week with Ahmaud Arbery, uh, racial injustice is tragic. It's disgusting in the sight of God. For a man to be shot in broad daylight while jogging because of the color of his skin is nothing more than proof that our world is groaning. The world is groaning. The world is not the way it ought to be. We were made to follow these two commandments, yet every day the world, including us, completely rejects them. And so as we see, the world groans in pain. And so as Christians, as a church, we're called to model restoration. We're called to model advocacy for people we know and also those we do not know at all. There are many, there are many reasons for this, but, uh, but one of which comes out of our passage and it's to love our neighbor as ourself. But what's interesting uh, is that if we boiled all of these laws and commandments down, uh, and all, 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 all of them, all 600, over 600 of them, they could be obeyed if these first two commandments were obeyed, uh, of loving God and loving our neighbor as ourself. Uh, the first two commandments that Jesus brings up, it gets at the intent of the law, of love, which is love. Uh, we, we, we taught this to our kids several weeks ago, in our kids' ministry, specifically just looking at, at the Ten Commandments. Of, uh, or of, how, of how the Ten Commandments are matched with love and uh, how, how they're matched with loving God and loving your neighbor. If you kind of, match, if you kind of go down the line, you can see how they, how they match up well with that. But what Jesus also knew is that if we obey the first commandment of loving God in every area of our life, we'll also be love led into loving our neighbor as ourself. The second one flows out of the first one. We've said the second, uh, when we love God, right, we're then empowered to love our neighbor. The intent is to love God vertically, right? We, we love God vertically in worship. And then when we love God well vertically, when we worship the Lord, it flows out right, horizontally, horizontally, horizontally to how we love our neighbors. Our vertical relationship with God overflows into the horizontal relationship with our neighbors. But the problem is, as I've said, it's easier said than done. It's it's easy to say, but it's hard to do because of this problem that we have called sin. Even these two simple laws, we can't obey perfectly. As hard as we try, as many reminders as we put up around our house, maybe in our life, our sin nature, it comes out. It still is going to come out at some point, which is why I think this last verse, specifically this last verse, is so interesting. I'm going to read this last verse of our story, and, or the last few verses of our story, and we'll see the scribe's response affirming what Jesus said was true. And then we're going to see what Jesus says back, uh, which, is the, the, which is what I find interesting. Look, look what the scribe says, starting in verse 32. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher, 
You have truly said that He is one, and there is no other besides Him. And to love Him with all your heart, and with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love one's neighbor as yourself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. He's affirming what Jesus said is right, uh, saying, uh, you're right, These are, that's better than the burnt offerings, which is awfully nice of this man. It's a nice change of scenery uh, from Jesus' interactions with the religious leaders of the day. Uh, he, he agrees with Jesus here. Uh, but then look what Jesus says next. Uh, this is the interesting part. Look, at, look what he says in verse 34. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So let's recap here. The scribe uh, comes up, asks Jesus for the greatest commandment. Jesus responds by giving him the first two greatest commandments, which sums up most of the law, meaning uh, if you can follow these things, uh, you'll honor God. And then Jesus saw that he answered wisely, and he says in verse 34, you are not far from the kingdom of God, meaning you're close, but you're not there. Uh, so so let me, let's take this a step further. What Jesus is saying is the religious man knew and agreed that if you loved God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you loved your neighbor as yourself, you're doing pretty good. But Jesus comes back and says, you're doing pretty good, but you're not there yet. He's almost in the kingdom of God, but he's not yet in the kingdom of God. There's a saying we, say, we said a lot growing up as a kid, uh, when we would almost get something, we would say almost only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. And we, we typically weren't playing with, with horseshoes when we said this, and we certainly weren't playing with hand grenades, uh, although I think we, we may have if we got our hands on them. Uh, but the idea was almost doesn't count. Almost winning isn't winning. Or if you almost make a shot, you didn't make the shot. If you make it to the one-yard line but not the end zone, it's not good enough. You still, you still don't get any points. If you're, on the one, if you're stuck on the one-yard line, you still get a big fat zero. And Jesus said to this nice scribe, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You're close, but you're not there yet. You've almost made the team, but you're not on the team. So we have to ask, why did he say that? He said it because Jesus knew what we know. The commandments are easy to teach and understand, but they're hard to live out. Commands are not just taught, commands are obeyed. And what Jesus knew was that the scribe didn't perfectly obey these commands. Jesus knew that obeying these two great commandments were good and right and could get you into the kingdom of God if they were obeyed perfectly. And as we know, these commandments, they show our problem. These commandments are good guidelines for us, but our disobedience keeps us out of God's kingdom. The commandments of loving God and loving our neighbor are good, and we should strive to follow them, work hard with everything we've got. But as we know, sin is real. Our flesh is real, which causes us to love ourselves more than we love God. And it also causes us to love ourselves before we love others. Wrestling with this text this week has been so hard for me. It really has. It's been so convicting. Why? Because I want to love my neighbor as myself, but I don't always do that. And that's convicting. 
I want to love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, but I don't always do that. I fall, I fall short. My heart and my mind get drawn to other things, having blind spots throughout my day. It was, what's super convicting for me is I spend most of my day reading the Bible. Like, that's what I do, reading and studying the Bible. And, and you know what? I'm really good at loving my neighbor as myself when I'm by myself studying and no one else is around me. That's when I'm at, that's when I'm at my best with this commandment. But yet, I, like each of you, I have a sin problem that causes me to, a bit to disobey the great commandments. I can speak kindly to my neighbors, friends, and family, be patient with my kids and my wife, and my wife love and serve my wife, and think uh, if we just disregard that little moment of frustration uh, back there and some of those thoughts and, oh, yeah, that, that one little zinger, that wasn't very nice. You know, if we could just disregard that, uh, I'm doing pretty good. Maybe we could say on a good day, you know, maybe, maybe I love God and my neighbor 90% of the time, uh, which is honestly way, way, way too generous. Uh, but we'll just be nice and encourage ourselves a little bit today. Uh, but even if, if 10% of our day, we don't love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we don't love our neighbor as ourselves, we're still left out of the kingdom. We're close. We're 90% there. We're not far off, but we're not there. We still get a big fat zero on the scoreboard of God's kingdom. Almost being in the kingdom of God is being left out of the kingdom of God. The more we know these commandments and the more we think about what they entail, our sin starts to become more glaring and more obvious. And as I've said, you know, I've really struggled with this. Uh, I've really been grieved over how I can struggle wholeheartedly to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and how I can often struggle to love my neighbor as myself, as as myself. And as and honestly, I pray that we would all kind of be grieved by this a little bit. It would maybe be the same for you because when we look at the picture of God's law and God's commandment, it highlights and it shines on our imperfections. And then as I've wrestled with this, this last verse here, it became so hopeful and such a great reminder of God's kingdom and to why the gospel is so hopeful and to why we need it every day because getting into God's kingdom cannot be achieved through our love. It can only be received by trusting in Jesus. The life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus is the perfect picture of loving God, of someone loving God with all of, all of their heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, with all of his strength. And then also it's the perfect picture of loving his neighbor as himself. Jesus' death at the cross displayed his perfect love for God in his heart, in his soul, his mind, and his strength. And I, and out of that perfect love of God, he looked at us, his neighbor, and loved us as himself. Get this. He gave up his life so that we could have ours. Jesus surrendered his crown of rubies for a crown of thorns so that his neighbors, his people, us, can be crowned with the royalty of God's righteousness. Jesus' perfect sacrificial love, believing in it, trusting in it, devoting your life to it, it's our only ticket into God's kingdom. It's the only thing that will take us from outside of God's kingdom to inside of God's kingdom. Our love of God is radically imperfect. Our love of neighbor is radically imperfect. But through the love that Christ displayed by going to the cross, he pushes us into the end zone of God's kingdom. We go from almost there to there. Through the blood of Jesus, almost there is not, is not good enough. We need to be there. 
If you've not trusted in Christ, I pray that you would. If you've toiled with this, if you've kind of flip-flopped back and forth on this, uh, in some ways you're almost there. I pray that today you would trust in Jesus and enter into God's kingdom. Don't be almost in and be left out because almost being in God's kingdom is being left out of God's kingdom. I pray that you would, uh, you will be all the way in, that you would trust in Jesus and enter into his kingdom. And so today, as we close out our time, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're in the kingdom of God, as you go about your day, get this, (laughs) you can know that in confidence, you won't love God perfectly, uh, but Jesus loved God perfectly for you. You won't won't love uh, your neighbor perfectly, but Jesus has already loved your neighbor perfectly for you. And so out of that, we can be empowered to seek to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. And then secondly, we can strive to love our neighbor as ourself. We can do this because if we put our faith in Jesus, we can walk in confidence knowing that the God who saved us, knowing that the God who redeemed us has brought us into his kingdom, declaring us uh, completely righteous while also making us a work in progress. Until the day that we see Jesus face to face, we will finally be able to obey the first two commandments perfectly. But until that day, what a joy we have as a work in progress to put on display the kingdom of God by loving God and loving our neighbor. The message of, of the gospel, uh, this idea of living out of a gospel identity, it seems, seems so counterintuitive. You know, that idea of walking in obedience and living out uh, the great commandments, not for acceptance, but from acceptance, knowing that God has already done our work, uh, so therefore, in return, we work for the Lord in great freedom. This concept is somewhat hard to teach and sometimes difficult to understand, but brothers and sisters, don't miss it because, that's hard, because it's hard to teach, but it is a joy to live. I pray that today you would love God, we would love God, and we would love our neighbor knowing and trusting that if uh, we're in God's kingdom, that the God of the universe is alongside of us, working with us and helping us, and that, my friends, is a great joy. Let's pray. Father, we, we love you. We need you. Father, we need your help to be able to, uh, to love others. Uh, to, to love you. Father, we need your help to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. Father, we're, we're grateful that you completely displayed that for us, that you filled in the gap that we could not fill. Father, we're, we're grateful that you came and that uh, you displayed your perfect love for us, that you loved us as your neighbor so that we could be with you. Father, we pray that if there's someone uh, listening under the sound of my voice that, is never, that has not trusted in Christ, they would trust in Christ and they would be all in into the kingdom of God. Father, we need your help. Uh, We need your help to love others and to love God. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.